Listen in the dojo and dynamite. Dynamite, put your hand in, ring is out of sight. All elite TNT, make it feel right. Put your hand all elite, time to unite. One's name Rich, the other Ashley. The number one pod for the whole family. Time to fill your wrestling appetite. Now it's time to start dojo and dynamite. guys, this is Ashley and Rich here with episode 70 of Dojo and Dynamite. It is Thursday, March 18th, and today marks the one-year anniversary of the AEW debut of Matt Hardy and Mr. Brody Lee. Yeah, and it was one of the first pandemic dynamites. Might have been I think the it first. might be the first pandemic so dynamite. So it was like the first pandemic dynamite, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. No, we've we've come a long way in in a year in terms of well, just the world itself, dynamite, um, the evolution of these characters, and and they've still been in Daly's place, obviously, for a hot minute. We went to like the Nightmare Factory up in Georgia, but again, they've been in Daly's place for over a year. They've allowed in, I believe, twelve hundred people for the pay per view. I believe there was eleven hundred people last week. This week was recorded. Just, so it's slow. It's slowly been getting back to what they were. I mean, you know, twelve hundred people is a lot of people. Daly's place can hold a lot of people, but you know, if you think about it, they were they were doing arenas at some point that were doing twenty five hundred, twenty eight hundred, three thousand people. So they're not far away from where they were at some of the other smaller venues they used. But just taking a moment to reflect on that first COVID show, um, just it was it was crazy. Cody addressing the crowd. We had the debut of the Exalted One, rest in peace, Mr. Brody Lee, and uh, Matt Hardy making his debut with Vanguard One, that beautiful entrance with the piano at the end. Just what a moment. Yeah, that was a cool entrance. Yeah, they, 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 they did that really well, all things considered. It wouldn't have been as good with all the audience in the same manner in which they did it. Having, it wouldn't have had the same impact. I think. Well, we the music, that I think, then. was it was playing, and there, there was no noise, so the music played so well that you could essentially hear it throughout the entire venue with no interruption. The piano. Yeah. So it, it, was, it was well done. It was a masterpiece. But wow, can't believe it's been a year already. Now, but, but but before we start, we'll we'll talk about something near and dear to Dojo and Dynamite's heart. I don't want to be insensitive to those who like both platforms, WWE, AEW. Do not watch a lot of WWE. So Eric Bischoff gets introduced as a member of the 2021 Hall of Fame. Now, the fact that he hasn't been in the Hall of Fame before is just outrageous. But am I happy for Eric? Of course you are. Am I disappointed? And how my meeting went with Eric? Do I do I think about it every single day? No. I hope not. I was gonna say <laughs> I hope you don't. No, I don't. But that's my that's my mentor, my sensei, and a man I met once that threw me out of a bar. <laughs> Maybe one day you can you can redeem yourself and congratulate him on his Hall of Fame induction. And offer another drink. It's just unbelievable. I was very excited. It hurts, Ash. These moments in life, you don't forget them. They shape the way that your world revolves. 
But congratulations to Mr. Bischoff. Will we be watching the Hall of Fame? Will I be watching the Hall of Fame? No. I also will not be watching the Hall of Fame. We used to do this thing. We'd buy a shit ton of appetizers. We had a bunch of friends that would come over for WrestleMania. And we'd force everybody to watch each and every night of the WrestleMania action. So we would sit for like six hours and watch Mr. T talk about his mom. And we'd eat like bagel bites and pizza rolls and all this shit for hours and hours and hours while the Hall of Fame was brutal. But we wanted to experience all that was WrestleMania. And Ashley... All things considered, we did the same thing when it came to MetLife Stadium. And we didn't want to go, necessarily, to the meet and greets, which was the access. But we felt like we had to. We had to go to access to experience what was WrestleMania. We're coming up on our eight-year anniversary of the day that we met. Or as my younger brother says, Met Day. That's our Met Day. You have now known me longer than how old he was when you met him. That makes sense. You've known him longer than he, his age when you met him. I've known him for like half of his life. More, More than, than half, half of his, his life. life. Now, yeah. Craziness. But anyway, Dynamite, as we've kind of sidetracked here for the past five minutes, Dynamite was excellent. Again, back-to-back nights. They obviously, the second one recorded, which I think it might just be me. Again, it's not just me. I know how it is. It, the, the recording Dynamites are not as good. I don't know if it's because of the live crowd, if it's, you know, the live anticipation, because it's spoilers always weird, get out. I have I have yet to see a single Dynamite spoiler. You fucking spoil things for me. Don't ruin this for me. Don't don't pretend. Don't pretend. But what don't pretend what? That you don't want to know the results. I don't. I like watching the show and being surprised, but I've only seen the results like once. But the thing that I, I just I can't put my finger on it. The the recorded shows do feel different than the live shows, but I don't know why. I I guess it's it's the sense of just knowing if something it's were not if something live, were to happen, we would know about it. If something was going to occur on a taped event, we would know ahead of time. Hey, something's going to happen on this show, and it probably would get picked up as to what it was. I I, I would assume that would be the case. I don't know, but this St. Patrick's Day episode, I thought, was a hit. Yeah, I thought it did well. I know the ratings came out, uh, both shows were down. I mean, this has to end, right? This has got to end. They have to separate these two wrestling shows. We'll see these figures go up. I mean, you can't you can't justify it anymore. I mean, obviously the ratings are down all general. Everybody's kind of down every week. I mean, you can't be below 600,000 viewers. But we are not a ratings podcast. No. We are an AEW and New Japan podcast. And we are going to go ahead and dive into this week's Dynamite recap. So the show opened up with singles action. We had Cody versus Penta. So which was kind of a a startling development as Penta basically name-dropped the unborn child of Cody and basically told Brandy, in essence, I guess, I, I don't remember the, the full context of the original conversation, but, like, basically he's going to go home without a dad because he's going to beat the shit out of him or something. And so this match takes a weird angle where it was, like, immediately personal. Extremely personal. So I, I guess that's a way to, in, to, to engage the audience quickly. But then this match ends flat. Yeah. And Aubrey, and I'm sorry, Aubrey counted slow, too. On that last roll-up, which was an odd 
finish to begin with. Obviously, it's to keep Penta strong. Aubrey's counting as if she's not expecting it to hit three. It was a very abrupt ending. Overall, I enjoyed the match. I think Penta is fantastic. But it just it took a weird turn at the end. And it it did feel personal. He went outside the ring. He pulled that barricade Very out that physical. was kind of on the heel side there. He kind of pulled that out. They used that spot. I thought the match was really nice. There was a point where Cody did a Hurricane Rana where he springboarded off the top rope on one side, hard cam side, all the way across to the top of the turnbuckle to Hurricane Rana Penta off, which was very impressive. Match was solid. Again, a solid B. I enjoyed the two of these guys together. We talked last week. I was into, definitely into Penta being more of an independent character, getting sure. more of this edge to him. Cody, of course, I was tired of all the enhancements, so I'm, I'm engaged in watching him wrestle some, you know, tr- pure, true televised talent. So this match was great from the get-go. It was a good way to open the show. Just an odd ending. And then again, are we going to continue this feud? Is this, is this feud going to continue? Obviously, we show the separation between QT Marshall and the Nightmare family. So what is QT Marshall? Is he going to build off his own? Is he going to take these young recruits, Lee Johnson and all those guys? Is he going to branch those guys off and kind of make his own little Nightmare Factory away from Cody? Because you think about it, they signed you know the Gun Club, they signed Lee Johnson, they signed all these young talents that were basically being developed by QT Marshall. Mm-hmm. So is he going to spring them off in his own little group here? I mean, it's possible. Yeah, it's But possible. we're getting an internal divide but in the Nightmare family, but who is it that's right? Is it QT Marshall that's right? Is he tired of Cody's shit? I mean, because Cody's clearly heel, he's arrogant, he's ego, but at the same time, he's trying to plead to you that he's babyface. So, Maybe QT Marshall's tired of his shit, and he's, seeing, and he's seeing through that, like, thing facade. It's sort of like what we had happening with Cody and MJF back in the day. In a sense. Yeah, in a way it's similar. Yeah, I would agree. I think this is... Where there was a moment where it was, MJF could be the good guy here. Right, yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of hinting that maybe this could be that, even though QT walked out on Dustin, which you just don't do. What the fuck are you doing? That would be a really interesting long-term development though if those like mjf pieces and the qt marshall pieces came together with cody being this like evil entity yeah it culminates in a long-term program that cody was actually this egotistical animal behind the scenes as much as he was on television pretending to be this the way that sean spears said he was the way that mjf said he was and then you had kind of breaking away with the nightmare collective and like when brandy was doing those therapy videos but she was talking to a doll like there's a lot maybe, of maybe Cody's pieces. just doing all of this stuff so he's that causing mental illness really, across the board that would be very interesting but I don't know uh, looks like we might have another faction coming though like you said so this transition though to a backstage interview featuring the Young Bucks who were interrupted by Don Callis so Don comes to them backstage and basically says that they're not the Young Bucks of New Japan. They've lost their edge. There's nothing elite about them. Seemingly leaves Nick and Matt feeling angry, disgruntled. Well, Finjuice are the Impact Tag Team Champions. They are. So maybe Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows challenge the Young Bucks for their titles at some point? I don't know. Maybe after packing. Phoenix have a chance? I, I don't know. Maybe this is what it's leading to. We've kind of been getting this uh, Don Callis enemy of the Bucks for quite some time. 
So it's obvious that it's Don Callis that's driving the hard line between Kenny and He's his old friends. He's the puppet master yeah. here. Well, yeah, he pulls the strings. Isn't yeah. the whole this whole thing the invisible hand? So obviously Don's the guy feuding essentially with the Bucks. It's not quite the other guys. It seems more like it's Don and the Good Brothers. And Kenny Omega is kind of being played also. They're letting Kenny's ego get out of control, but Don behind the scenes is kind of pulling all the figures. Making Kenny feel like he's accomplished. One day this is going to burst on Kenny. Absolutely. So, so we'll see how this goes. So yeah, promo was fine. Another one of those promos with Bucks and callous obviously driving a line between friendship yeah and as we continue to see where their allies um i'd push it i'd push it for the bucks versus good brothers that's what i would do i'd keep angling it with don callous kind of that way it keeps the bucks away from kenny that's the whole goal of don callous is telling the story of keeping the bucks away from kenny so he gets the good brothers not to jump ahead too much but they do come to the aid of the mox man i don't want to see them involved too heavily with kenny i want to see Don kind of put away, let Kenny kind of do his Kenny thing and kind of really step in the role here and force the issue on the Good Brothers and Young Bucks. It makes it seem like Kenny's untouchable. We're on some sort of collision course with this Bullet Club rendition. How it ends, I don't know, but it's going somewhere. The match that followed was Jade Cargill versus Danny Jordan in singles competition. I thought this was great. This was a short, dominant showing of Jade. Well, it's a way to get Jade on television, but you can't do too many. We're going to have to start seeing Jade maybe on Elevation. You're advertising Elevation every week. You want to get her on television. You want to get her on a prominent role. I know if you want to, I guess, classify that this is going to be the A show, of course, Dynamite. The B show is going to be the second hour. You're going to have C show, D show, I guess you want to say, Elevation, and you have Dark. But... You had 29 matches on Monday and Tuesday. That's crazy. I don't... It's nuts. I mean, you know, for everybody that sits through those, I mean, that's... Especially for Dark. Elevation, I got a chance to watch. I watched Elevation. It was a good show. Of course, I wasn't going to miss the debut of Elevation. No, I enjoyed it. But for Dark, I mean, you got 15 more matches or whatever it was the next night. I mean, man, that's just crazy to think about. But... What they're going to do going forward with all these matches, I know it's the whole idea that these young guys need work. Young guys, young women... They need work. And so getting them the opportunity to be on a televised program, we talked about what the benefit of Dark would be, what the benefit of Impact would be, and what the benefit of Elevation is going to be. But at some point, they have to cut these matches down. You can't have 29 matches, 30 matches on a week. I mean, that's just terrible. I mean, just for the audience purpose. Well, but it's on YouTube, so you can watch it at your leisure. Yeah, you can. That's a good point. But are they going to continue some of the narratives from television on there? Could Jade Cargill get a lot of representation maybe on Elevation? You have people talk about her because Paul White, we'll talk a little bit about Elevation here. Paul White did a nice job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, they, they, did, they, they really took a different directive than what they normally take on Dynamite or Dark because Dark is Dark. But what they did on Elevation was really elevate the talent of the other individuals that worked talked about their wrestling ability their backgrounds talked about their styles their trainings their upbringings this was a different style of commentary and i'm i'm glad that paul did his homework guys professional but i'm glad that they they did this little bit of homework that kind of changed the narrative of the audience you know you have you lead announcer you got jim ross i mean you got jim ross on dynamite it's your hype man 
you know, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, and, and Excalibur, that's your hype man. That sells the story, right? He imprints that story. You have these guys, you have Cody, and you have Penta, and an unborn child. Sell that story. And then on Elevation, you have Paul White, who's talking about the talent and the upbringing of these individuals, their backgrounds, their trainings. This kind of builds, you understand now why these individuals are making it to Dynamite, why they're getting live television appearances. you got Riho, you have Maki Ito, you're talking about their background in Japan, you're talking about their styles, where they came from. That stuff's important. That's very, very important. That stuff's important. You bring that now to television, the audience is familiar with the background. You no longer have to sell that. You could sell the underdog story. People question, well, what about Riho? Remember when she first became champion? What yes. about Riho? We don't know anything about Riho. But now we do. Elevation's told us. So when she comes here, we know all about Riho. We know where she came from. She, we know how she worked. She wasn't introduced to a live audience for the first time. So I think Elevation has that large benefit here that they they can do some things that they won't be allowed to do or get away with on television due to the fans and the audience that they can do on YouTube for a smaller audience but more of a passionate audience or the loudest audience and that way they can quell some of those concerns I think it's a good strategy here I, li I like this middle ground that they're doing but Jade you have to get her on television so it is important as much as I don't love enhancement matches it is important well, to get her on television. There, as we've talked about, there's the a eye. time and place for them, and I felt like this was a good use of one because it, she is this dominant force. So give her a quick win over Danny Jordan. She goes outside the ring afterwards. She's got her beef continuing with Red Velvet. I thought this was this was good. Yeah, you had to continue with Jade what was going to come next. You had to continue the what. Because if you just have the squash, you kind of go... Well, why? Right. You want to have the what? What are we? What are we going toward? But that's where a good, are we going? Like you said, putting her on an elevation or dark just to get some some extra matches in. But we can buffer the the enhancement matches now with Red Velvet. That's a feud there. So it's I'm excited to see what's to come with that. And I wouldn't be shocked if Jade got a manager. It could be Shaq. I mean, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jade had a little backup. It's interesting though because she. She doesn't need one? No, not not physically. I, I, not physically, but somebody who can kind of, I guess, promote her. M maybe, you know, maybe she joins with Nyla and Vicky. Yeah, Vicious it's Vixen. Just somebody who promotes her, kind of grows her, builds her as a brand. I mean, she's her own entity, but, you know, somebody who can kind of, like, book her in big matches, kind of, you know, push away all the garbage, just give her the clear path for success. Well, there's strength in numbers, like we continue yeah. to discuss. So, yeah, it's not always bad to have someone in your corner. I, I would go the role of finding somebody smaller, having her look so dominant as such, an, as such a, a dominant, highlighted figure. You almost find somebody who's kind of like a small... Like, like Jimmy Hart was always kind of smaller than... All the people he managed, you know. Well, I know they're feuding, but we talked a few weeks ago about how Red Velvet and Jade could be the perfect. Yeah, we talked pairing. about the exact. I feel the same way, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it could like she has that personality. She's you know she's obviously she stature wise she's smaller, but so it sells Jade as the dominant figure of this group. But Red Velvet but is Red a Velvet force to be reckoned with herself. It's like a hype man, you know. Yeah. Red Velvet can sell anything. So, I mean, she could sell with the attitude what her and Jade bring to the table. I would not be opposed. But Jade can stand her own ground. This whole thing was fine. I'll give it a B. I mean, again, I don't love enhancements, but you had to get her on television, and she's going to continue the feud with Red Velvet. So, we'll see where it goes. 
We'll see what involves it. We will see where it goes, like you said. Next up, we had the continuation of how the show ended last week with MJF's new faction. We were introduced to The Pinnacle. We need to take a moment to talk about how fantastic Big Money Wardlow looked in that suit. Yeah, they show off really nice uh, private jet. They, they, that's how the show opens. You announce it's the pinnacle, and as you had said, it was kind of a cross between MJF theme song and the Four Horsemen. Nice little remix. Yeah, but I mean, the Four Horsemen's like god level theme song from WCW. Just outstanding, outstanding theme song. I mean, that's just like terrific. It, it just personifies '80s luxury. I love it. Can't can't get can't get enough of it. But I don't like how everything's always MJF. I guess it's one of those things that I guess you can kind of get turned off. How it's like, why does it have? To, why does this a group of five or six people individually have to be MJF? Have to open with MJFs? It's the arrogance of MJF. I get it, but everything's MJF. Like the Jericho thing opens with MJF. This opens with MJF. Why is it all MJF? What like his theme song? Yeah, because it's such a bop. Yeah, but it's gonna get played out. Yeah. And you get tired of hearing it. I, it. It's just, as a group, as a large faction, maybe it would be better when they enter together to have something unique to themselves. I don't I don't disagree with that. I, yeah, they... Like, not everything has to have MJF in it. I, I get it. That's his character. He's arrogant as fuck. He has to have himself involved in it. I, I totally understand it. But just for the individuals like myself who are really not into MJF... It feels like he's swallowing up the other guys who I actually like. Not saying I dislike MJF, but the guys who I actually want to see more of. And it, it's hurting my, I guess, attention. It, you had a good theme song outside of the beginning part. You know, I had to, I raised the volume, I had to listen to it, you know. But it was, you know what I'm saying. Ric Flair's theme song was not that of, like, the Four Horsemen. You know what I'm saying? It was, you had the Four Horsemen theme, you have Ric Flair. So it, no, it's kind I, of like I, you, have, yeah. you can have MJF and have this pinnacle. You don't have to have them comboed. I like the idea of unique theme songs to each individual or each entity. Um, so I, I don't disagree with you there. But they are the pinnacle. This promo was very good. I, th- I thought that Tully Blanchard was excellent. I'm trying to remember it step by step. I thought Tully Blanchard was excellent. I don't know if M- it, it is MJF. It's just what he is. It's who he is. I don't know if MJF needed to do all, like, the little shots. Because this is what you would say is kind of, you know, you put your big boy pants on, and now you're a main event level faction who is going to dominate the roster regardless of who you are affiliated with. Like taking the shots at Jericho's appearance and Like Jericho's hairline. I feel like you're above this now. You don't need to take those shots. This This is about the pinnacle. This is about assembling a premier group of professional wrestlers under one umbrella of what is supposed to be an extension of the old Four Horsemen. I don't know if you needed to have that, that's all. But I thought otherwise, this is a great group. I mean, FTR, Sean Spears, Tully Blanchard, Wardlow, it's it's a fantastic fit. This is a big money, premier, elite talent group. Um, and it was time to get a new one because Inner Circle, and he's right. Some of the things that he said were right. I think he took a lot of, they they took a lot of AW 
the internet's criticisms of what was going on with the inner circle, a lot of comedy, not enough serious endeavor, not enough focus on the main event, not enough focus on actually challenging those within AEW. I think that they, they captured that well in that promo and that they were going to focus on being the most dominant and the premier brand that is within AEW. And I thought that was very well conveyed. Absolutely. I thought this was a great promo. It held my attention, uh, wasn't too lengthy, and we are here for the pinnacle. Yeah, it was an A. Yeah. It was very, very, very good. Loved it. Loved it. Something I didn't really love as much was the next match, which was uh, 10-man tag team action, Jurassic Express and Bear Country versus Matt Hardy, Private Party, and Butcher and Blade with the bunny. So the Bear Country are a dark team. They're a little gimmicky. They kind of remind me of how the Viking Raiders were on Raw. A little too gimmicky for me. And you have Jurassic Express, which is kind of gimmicky, against Matt Hardy, which is not building a gimmick brand. He's building a brand of, uh, you know, I, I listen, I'm big money Matt. Big money agent, get, get you on television. I'm going to give you premier real estate on Dynamite. That's another good faction right there. So you have Private Party, of course, who's worked so well with Matt Hardy. Now you have Butcher and Blade, who unfortunately they really haven't figured out what to do with. But you have Butcher and Blade, who I'm a huge fan of. So I've been supporting Butcher and Blade since day one. Butcher and Blade go where the money go. I, that's MJF fine. And, and, that's, and, and, and they, they sold that, and they're telling that same story. I'm no, it's for good. It. That's, that's exactly what they do. MJF showed up, gave him that envelope, that manila folder, manila envelope, the, whatever you want to call it, that orange little sleeve. Factory. Yeah, in, in oh, the butcher shop. That was shop. such a great butcher shop. And paid shop. them off. It was perfect. Such a great video package. In the meat factory. The meat factory. The meat factory. Oh, goodness. But, you know, paid them off. Matt Hardy, I'm going to get you some money. Don't you worry about that. And you kind of got TH2 in the wings there. They're kind of like, you know, kind of spunky dudes for hire who are willing to do some things for some money. No, I, I dig listen, it. I dig it's, it. It's a good faction. It works. But this other group, not necessarily, I don't think Bear Country and Jurassic Express are going to be a group. But Jurassic Express is kind of starting to feel a little... Uh, dated, I guess. A little kind of gimmicky. And I don't know if that's for the best for Jungle Boy going forward. So I, th I think we have to kind of see maybe Jungle Boy kind of branch away. Guys, Luchasaurus hasn't looked good. And I mean, yeah, that video that was from Dark. Oof. Oh boy. I know the other guy. Bonani or, or Bonino or whatever the hell his name is. He, I know he's no goo. But green is goo shit. But I mean... Guys, Luchasaurus, no go. This match just didn't do it for me. It was kind of a buffer point of the show. We're coming down from the hot start and, and the debut of this new faction, and we're getting ready for the main event, so this was kind of like a, yeah, it was a, a, a resting, resting point, but it is what it is. That was followed up by an interview. Tony Schiavone met with Sting and Darby. And Darby is uh, bringing back the TNT Open Challenge, TNT Championship, TNT Championship Open Challenge to the Dark Order. Next week, we get Darby versus Johnny Hungy. Well, it's a television championship that hasn't been defended. 
We talked about this what last two weeks ago. Last Wait, week. and he addressed it on the sh- on Dynamite. He said what Be- three because times? Because it's a reality. No, yeah. it's a television championship that, that hasn't been defended. And we talked about it. It's not it's not his fault. It's not AEW's fault. Sting happened to come here. You know, you signed Sting, you hide it, right? So Sting happens to appear. He lines himself with Darby, who happens to be the TNT champion. It, it's it was no, a perfect got marriage. Tied up it was what it was. You got tied up. Story. It's, it's a, that's the right way to say it. They got tied up. So. Now it's time to do something with the TNT title, which is fine. But it's a television championship. It has to be defended. He's going to face John Silver, who put the little hat on, looked like the mascot of Notre Dame. It was hilarious. But who better than the Dark Order? No, it's fine. It, it depends on what you want to do with this. Is John Silver going to win the belt? I don't think so. But it's possible. Can we see this belt kind of move around a little bit? Maybe maybe we should see it move around a little bit. Negative one when it's a compete... <laughs> They were like... Ten years. <laughs> no, nah, not right now. But so John Silver versus Darby Allen next week? Hey, you know what? I'm into it. If he goes through the entire Dark Order, maybe somebody wins it. That would be... I like that. That would be cool. Give you know, it, he's got to go through like all eight of them or how many there are, and maybe one of them wins it. Give it to Stu. You got Colt Cabana, you got Stu Grayson, you got Evil Uno, you got Ten, you got Allen Angels, you got Adam Oh, there's Page. so many... Oh, Hangman. Oh, there's so many good contenders. That I like that, though. He should go through... The entire Dark Order. And um, that's where the belt should stay. I, I, I'm all for that. But then, of course, Brian Cage comes out, Team Taz. And Brian Cage breaks away kind of from Team Taz a little bit and gives things some respect. And Ricky Starks is not happy. Taz is not happy. But there's a division already in Team Taz, which, again, I'm sorry, it, it has to happen. Because you have guys like Will Hobbs who unfortunately are kind of getting a little swallowed up. Well, I, yeah, you talked about that a couple weeks ago, so I thought you would I like the, the direction Cage. that this is going, yeah, though. I, I love the Brian Cage in the group. I love him with Ricky Starks. I like him with Team Taz. But it kind of was necessary, because you need to have Will Hobbs step into that prominent role. So if you were able to move Brian Cage out, if you make him a baby face, which they kind of need a little bit of. Maybe we'll get Hobbs versus uh, Brian Cage. It, it's very possible. But if this gives Will Hobbs a platform and you kind of have Hook waiting in the wings, this makes more sense. Yeah. And the faction doesn't have to be as big. Yeah. every faction's kind of big right now. Which is okay. I, I like alignments. But, you know, every faction's kind of big right now. So y- you kind of have this going on. And maybe Brian Cage can go off and kind of do some Lance Archer stuff. Just kind of go around and do whatever he wants. Which we also saw at the end of this segment. We had Lance Archer coming out and continuing to address Sting and Darby. And listen, I want more Lance Archer on my television, so... Of course, Lance Archer's fantastic. No complaints. I think we'll get more Brian Cage if he's on his own also. Yeah. So you have Lance Archer, which we talked about. We don't know what his direction's going to be. Let's see what they do with Lance. Let's see if he goes after Sting. Let's see if he goes after Darby. Let's see what they do with him. But right now, he'll face. They don't know what to do with him. They flip-flopped him a couple times. Let's see if we can kind of... They can get his foot in somewhere and, and, and kind of set him up for a... Uh, a little run here where he's got some some big time matches. So it's exciting though, as much as it's kind of like you said, sort of flip flop and not sure where the direction is. I feel like there is a path. Like we're getting somewhere. I don't know where, but we're heading in a good direction. I feel like. But I, I think it helps with what you're going to do with Lance Archer because you got Eddie Kingston and you have John Moxley as a tag team. So you have them kind of tied up, preoccupied. It gives a it, it gives a window now for Archer to kind of step into that role where Moxley and Kingston left that role. You have Archer and Cage who can kind of step up into that spot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
good opportunities. But that is actually the perfect transition there. Uh, next up, we had well, what was supposed to be a tag team match, Eddie Kingston and the Moxman versus the Good Brothers. But this just really was a chaotic brawl. The chemistry between Kingston and Mox continues to be undeniable. They had a video package backstage earlier in the night where, you know, they're they're shooting on the Bullet Club and, and the Good Brothers and uh, just cracking jokes with one another. And this is the this is as natural a flowing tag team as you could have. Because you know behind the scenes they're friends. You know behind the scenes they're close. And when you bring it on the television, sometimes that chemistry is just immediate. No, we talked about it last week. It's not something I typically love, but it's natural and organic, like you said, where it just works. And it's really funny because when... It, it's really funny because when I was wrestling, you know, a couple of years ago, I did a... I had a couple of feuds with a very, very good friend of mine. We had great matches, and to the generalized audience, they had no awareness, or we didn't think, whatever it is, of my relationship, essentially, with this individual, who was a very, very good friend of mine. So when we teamed up, we basically aligned ourselves together. The, the chemistry was so natural. Every promo, everything that we ever did felt so... It was fun. We had a good time. The audience believed it. it everything that we did was we, we completed each other's sentences. It was such great camaraderie. And it's exactly what you see from Kingston. Even though it looked like they were enemies, you know, of course, they talked about their, their bond earlier. They did talk about their relationship and their feud. But it's kind of like sometimes you put these friends together, people don't even know, and the chemistry is just off the charts. And these two need to be tag team champions. That's the kind of chemistry. It's crazy. It, it yeah. It like just we always complain about how you know it's like hey you're putting you know MJF and Jericho singles guys together. I mean these guys came together like oh no they they're 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 together. No, that's you know, they're what their family. Like, that's you what know. I'm saying. Like I, it's not something I'm I, I I advocate for, but this just feels right. And and that's exactly it's it just happens. it's so hard to explain. It's but hard yeah, to it's explain just it. Perfect. Like I was trying to explain it, didn't want to go into it. Don't like to talk about that stuff. But like you know it's that's what happens it's just it's, it's this natural flow where you're like why didn't we do this earlier right i was just gonna say it feels like they've been a part of this division since like if the you with somebody like, for like five six years you know your best friends outside the scenes you go like these two you know you you feud with each other you battle and all of a sudden they come together because you're like well you know we're gonna put them together as a tag team now that's the whole idea which is just a continuation of the original story they want to do regardless of the sparklers it, it was just it's flawless it, it's working They're, these guys are tag team champions at some point but this was just all-around shenanigans. I mean, the match doesn't even get underway. The Good Brothers jump Eddie Kingston as he's making his entrance. Took Mox a minute to come out because he's probably going to make his entrance from the top of the ramp or the... What type of stipulation do you think this match is going to get? That's what I've been wondering because obviously this is just this is just a brawl. It's like a street fight. But we've had, we've had a lot of street fights. We had the parking lot brawl. You, know, you think back to LAX versus the best friends. I'm sorry, Proud and Powerful, I apologize. You have Proud and Powerful versus best friends. What type of match are these guys going to have? Because you can't contain them. You got to put them in a cage. Or, I mean, because you, you can't contain them. You can't have another street fight. You don't want to have another street fight right after having it with Darby. You don't want to have another parking lot brawl. So you got to put them in a cage. Unless we do like a blood and guts event where just like every match is in a cage. Or is just blood TNA and lockdown. guts, like... TNA Lockdown, Ash. It was a good pay-per-view. It was a great concept. It was different than what WWE was doing. Because you know I can't stand every year that we have a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. 
No, no. No, but, but TNA, TNA like hard, Lockdown... Like, every match has a hardcore stipulation or something. Yeah, you could do that, like Extreme Rules, but yeah, I never, yeah, I never yeah. minded that, no. But, you know, like, TNA did all their matches in the cage because it was Lockdown, so every match had a cage match. And that was cool. I liked those. I bought those pay-per-views. Yeah. I didn't buy many TNA pay-per-views. I had to pick and choose the ones I liked. But I, I, I always got Lockdown. Lockdown was a great show. But as we mentioned briefly earlier on... um. You know, Kenny comes out, he's ensuing a beatdown on Mox with the Good Brothers. Eddie Kingston comes to the rescue, but gets kicked out. Who's going to save Mox from being injured at the hands of this steel chair? I mean, it, it's the Young Bucks. And they do not too sweet with Kenny at the end. No, Don Callis is driving the hard line. I think that's, that's, the, that's the important story here. So Don Callis is driving the hard line. So I, I think... Again, what type of match are we going to get between the Good Brothers and the Young Bucks? What type of match are we going to get from Kingston and the Good Brothers, Kingston and Moxley and the Good Brothers? I don't know. It's got to be some type of stipulation. unless, Like you said, unless they want to incorporate some other ones and they want to run a blood and guts. They want to do a four-on-four war games type match. I get it. You know, Mox and Kingston, the Young Bucks versus the Good Brothers, Kenny Omega, and somebody else. I, I get it. Well, they've, just, they've got a lot of blood feuds right now. You've got... Well, makes good what you action. just mentioned, you've got the pinnacle and inner circle. I mean, there's a lot of animosity here. And so. that's why the Dynamites have been good. Yeah. That's why the pay-per-view was good. That's why it was anticipated. The highest buy rate, biggest success in terms of generation of income. I mean, fantastic. These are great that's things. Great These are great yeah. figures. And you have a great Dynamite last week. You have a great Dynamite this week. I mean, this just steamrolls right into what is, again, I, I, I went on a rant. I'm not going to do it again. But, but just steamrolls right into Christian Cage. And he talks about coming for Kenny Omega. So Kenny Omega cannot distract himself with the Young Bucks because you have Christian Cage and an AEW World Championship match. And Christian Cage is laser-focused. The idea here is that Kenny Omega is going to go into a match against Christian Cage with all the shenanigans of the Bullet Club behind him, distracting him from an individual with Christian Cage and no affiliations who is focused on one thing and one thing only, and that is to prove that he is worthy of the AEW World Championship. That is a fantastic narrative. Yeah, the pieces are all coming together. That's exactly what they want to tell you. The guy's going to outwork. He's a workhorse, right? That was his promo. Christian it, Cage cut a great promo. And he said he's got to he's got to get in the ring. He's got to start getting some wins. So we'll be seeing him in action soon, yeah, I'm but assuming. He's, but he's laser focused on the AEW world title. Kenny's got a lot of shit going on. He's got a lot of baggage right now. It's a fantastic yep, story. And Christian's going to climb. And Christian those, should win the goddamn belt. He's going to climb the Christian power fan. rankings. And yeah, take the championship. Who do you think his first opponent will be? Probably some type of enhancement talent. I would think. You get him in the ring. He talked about being nervous before he went out there at the Royal Rumble. I, I, I listened to his uh, oral sessions with Renee. If you have an opportunity to listen to that, Renee Paquette does an oral sessions podcast. She brings on a lot of individuals who have come to Dynamite. You get a chance to listen to Christian Cage. It was a good one. Talked about the negotiations. Talked with Paul White also. They, they were, it was a nice podcast. She does a really nice job. That was a little advertisement, you know, a little side note. But Christian talked about how nervous he was after going into the Royal Rumble, but prior to going into the Royal Rumble. But when he got out there, it was like riding a bike. Wasn't afraid of anything. Don't be afraid of getting hurt. Just go out there and do what you do best. So I don't think he's going to be afraid, but maybe you get out there. Listen, when was the last time that Christian Cage worked a ring with cable ropes? Over 10 years ago. 
So, I mean, you're talking about different grip on the turnbuckles. You're talking about a different bounce when you're hitting these ropes. I don't know what he trains on. I'm sure it's something. But, you know, in WWE, you're using real ropes. It changes, it changes the dynamic of the bounce. So this is a totally different ring. Just got to get back into it. You just got to get back into it. That's all. So we'll see. That those are things that people don't think about. Those are factors that I think about. I always think about that. You know, a guy's coming in here. He's got a totally different ring. And I always thought AEW's ring was like 18 feet. I don't know if that was just me. It always looked a little smaller than WWE's ring. So, I mean, it's just it's a different, different build. We'll see who Christian faces. You're right. Probably enhancement talent, maybe like in Helico or something. Maybe he gets in a little feud with Matt Hardy, which is obviously, of course, a little story that we never get old, never gets old, never get tired of. Hardy's and Edge and Christian never get tired of that. And so. look at you. You are transitioning us perfectly throughout this show. Speaking of Angelico, we had him in singles action versus Ray Fenix. Yeah, it was a match I didn't watch, actually. Yeah. I just, it, it did not pique my interest whatsoever. I don't know why this match, this was one of those things that I always complain about enhancement talent, but for some reason this match just felt like it had zero purpose of being on a card. And I know that TH2's been fucking with him, so I know that that's been playing a role. Yeah, it's not like there was yeah. no story whatsoever. I, I just, I wasn't into it. I just didn't pay wholeheartedly attention. I don't even know who won. Phoenix. Phoenix, I'm sure, yeah. I was about to say. Jack Evans was not at ringside, I don't believe. Oh, Jack. But this this was what it was. It strengthens Phoenix and Pac by his side as they gear up to face the Young Bucks. But what we really want to talk about is this fantastic banger of a main event, which was the Lights Out unsanctioned match, Dr. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. This was incredible. Now, this match was great. It was an A+. I made a tweet. I tweeted or however you would like to do it. I'm trying to get better at social media, guys. If you guys can interact with me a little bit more. No, he, he really is I'm trying, trying his my best. Be I'm really trying to get more active. I, I want to talk to people on there. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do this more than I was before. So, you know, guys, if you... You know, I appreciate those who do interact with me. I really do. I really do appreciate it because there, there are many of you. So I just keep it up, please. I'm trying to, to build some friendships here. Uh, nonetheless, I tweeted that it's wild. That a little bit of blood changes the sympathy of the match so drastically for the audience that it builds stars. Becky Lynch got sucker punched and became the largest star as a female in the history of the business. And Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, both of them, but Britt Baker, because she cut a little too deep on the top of her head. I've been there. It's actually kind of scary. It looked so good, though. It looked so good. It was, it was so Oh, good. my God. It, but when you're not expecting it, and all of a sudden it just keeps coming, you go, oh, boy. You get a little woozy. In the <sighs> beginning, you do. You're like, oh, boy. It was a, it was a moment maker. It was a star-making performance. And she took that. Death Valley driver off the turnbuckle where Thunder Rosa, I don't know what you were doing. It was great. It was a great move. Everybody looked good on it. Obviously, I think you wanted to go down with her because you tried to protect her from taking the brunt of the bump because they laid the ladder against the rope and she kind of DVT'd her, as you want to call DVT, kind of FU'd her onto the ladder, but went down with her, which is Death Valley driver, coined by, you know, most famously by Tommy Dreamer. 
she like extended her leg and she planted and she was carrying her on her shoulders from the second rope down. I mean, that was like almost like I was waiting for the knee to buckle. That was scary. I was more scared of that than the actual bump. That was scary. The way her leg hit the ground there and the way she was kind of extended from the second rope. That's a lot of weight you're carrying. Like you're carrying another human being and you're stepping down on your limb, stretched out to then bend and throw her on that because you don't want to take you don't want her to take the bump so stiff. That was that was scary to me. It's wild. But How luckily, many football games you see the knees just blow out like that? Oof. But luckily, you know, no one no one was hurt there. But this was I, I can't wait to give it another watch. I mean, they both came out with such intensity uh, from the moment that they entered the ring and this was I think the perfect feud to like introduce this stipulation to the women's division it was the perfect it was the perfect um, way to end the show I mean they they fucking killed it out there they're badass women and they truly delivered oh yeah I mean she did a thumbtack bump I mean she it, it's kind of telling you knew she had to lose because she took all the bumps when you take all the bumps you got to take the L and it's exactly how I would book it if I was booking a match and I'm taking the bumps I'm the one usually taking all the bumps I'm taking the L you have to take the L you put somebody else over by doing something that you are willing to do above and beyond to sell for Thunder Rosa being a dominant figure. But in return here, Britt Baker became the star. And I don't want people to forget about Thunder Rosa because she was fantastic. No, they, they were both amazing. But the things that she did, she went above and beyond for Thunder Rosa. That is the magic of wrestling. I don't want to see the tape of you flying across the ring. I don't want to see you doing double backflips. I want to see the moments that you elevate those that you are with. And that is what the audience, if they're aware of it or not, feeds. And that's why Britt Baker sold to the audience that night. Because she came out there and she bled for them and she bled for Thunder Rosa and she took a Death Valley driver for Thunder Rosa and a suplex on a stack of chairs for Thunder Rosa or vice versa. She took the thumbtack back power bomb for Thunder Rosa. I mean, Britt Baker did it for her. And that is star-making material. Right there, that for Thunder Rosa made Britt Baker the most valuable player. She's been the face of the women's division since day one, but this just cemented her legacy here. That is how you become a star. You take the bumps and people respect it. And that was unbelievable. She took those thumbtacks and they were stuck and lined in her back. And I don't, again, for somebody, I don't know, you guys can kind of fill me in on the history of Britt Baker. Has she done that before? Maybe she hasn't. But she took those thumbtacks and she didn't know how to react when it happened. Because I'll never forget Randy Orton taking that back bump from Mick Foley. Mm -hmm. My God. Every thumbtack in that bag was in his back. <laughs> that was an unbelievable scene. I don't know, Ash, if you remember that. No, I, I oh do. Oh, my God. I think it was I'm going to forget that moment. I think it was on the Don't Try This at Home videos because that was unreal. We all did it at home, but it was unreal. And she just kind of rolled over and was like, I, I got them all in here. <laughs> they're in my back. I, I know they're there. I know they're there. Just keep going. I, I can't do anything about it. Has there ever been a women's match like this before? On mainstream television? I don't think so. That's awesome. Yeah. And as it, as a woman watching this, I felt 
very inspired. But that's what I was going to say. I didn't finish my my tweet because I kind of got sidetracked. The fact that WWE doesn't allow for just a little simpy blood, you can't build that with the audience. You can't connect it. Becky Lynch became a megastar overnight. Britt Baker became a megastar overnight. It doesn't have to be real blood. It could just be placed, but it builds that sympathy, that, that, that little simpy, as Scott Steiner would say. That little bit that gives you, as an audience, that feeling of connection. And you don't know why, because you feel like they sacrificed themselves for you. They gave you something. This is a warrior. This is a fighter. And you connect to that. And I think they need to rethink what they do with their blood. I think cross the board. AEW has done it. They've given you real wrestling. They've given you real entertainment. The reason why this match also, I believe, had to go on last, you know, had to be taped, had to go on last. They had to clean the mats up, you to pull it all apart. You know, you might as well get everything out of the way before you do it. That's kind of the thought. You got the thumbtacks. You got everything else in between. You kind of got to do all that. It was like the parking lot brawl too, yeah, though. I you mean, you got to finish it with it. Yeah. But you have the taped show. You got to kind of end the whole thing with it. But it was great. It was really great. And I mean, they stole the show. It's one of those things that's going to live in memory of AEW forever. It's going to make the company. You talk about how how Dustin and Cody made the start of the company. This is one of those things. Just another piece that makes the company. They always talk about WCW. You want to talk about WCW and WWF, right? You remember these matches. You remember the ladder match between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. You remember the matches, right? You remember the TLC match in WrestleMania 17. You remember the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania 2000. You remember these matches. In WCW, you remember the moments. The moment that Hogan showed up and he tore off the red and the yellow and became the black and the white. But in AEW, you're remembering the moments and the matches. They're giving you everything that you can possibly ask for as a wrestling fan. This is why we watch it. This is why we do the podcast. It's engaging. We've done this. We've gone over a year and a half since October of 2019. And again, they are still pushing the bar. And with that match, they, they jumped an entire leap and bound above anything. Now they got to do that. How do, you, how do you match that? You keep going. I, I think this going. is, it's great for the company. It, it's great for the women's division. I mean, this, like you said, this raises the bar. Um, I think this put the women's division back on the map. I, I know it's only March, but this is a, a match of the year candidate. I mean, I think it has to be. I completely agree. Yeah. It, it was a star making match. Britt Baker from the moment she turned heel on the cruise to now has been a totally different animal. And I think it's time for her to go get the belt. Thunder Rosa, of course, won the match. Thunder Rosa was terrific. Thunder Rosa was as giving as receiving. I mean, Thunder Rosa came out looking like a million bucks because now she survived this war and she was the winner. So now what's she going to do? Like you said, they're both they're both warriors. She wins. Yeah, what, what's next now for what's her? Now what's next? Exactly. Rebel took that table bump. Yeah, right? What a stiff way to take that, too. That looked nasty. Like, she looked like she... She's a warrior I don't know if she too. She got caught on the on the ring apron or whatever, but she hit. She went through hard. Like she didn't. She didn't really like kind of hop and bounce through it. She kind of just like oh, she hit that table. It. Oh my gosh! But hat hats off to to all three women because uh, because Rebel plays an integral part with everything that Doctor Britt does. 
Yeah. Um, so just having her involvement, it just adds so much to the story. But this was absolutely incredible. Um, Maybe you should keep Britt Baker off television a little bit because she might be a face after this, which is crazy to think. The, it's unintentional. It's the second bloody shirt she has. Yeah, it's almost like an unintentional twist. She Listen, but you let it... Face. It happens organically. I mean, you, you just roll with it, but... This is something I think we're all going to be talking about for for a while. Like you said, this is one of those matches and moments that, that you're going to remember that cements the legacy of this company. And that's really exciting. Well, with that, congratulations to Eric Bischoff, Hall of Fame 2021. I'm sure there's other Hall of Famers, but Eric Bischoff, Hall of Fame 2021. Congratulations to everybody. Oh, they're introducing... They're inducting those from 2020 also. So congratulations to Eric Bischoff, Batista, and the rest. I don't know who they are. I'm sorry. I'm being disrespectful. Last year, we watched My Dad is a Heel Wrestler instead of watching WrestleMania. That was a really good movie. Ashley, are we going to watch WrestleMania? I am not. Yeah, me either. It's on Peacock. We get Peacock now for free. With our cable package. Yeah, with the cable package. I don't watch cable. I just watch It's like WWE's like, don't stop. We'll just give it to you for free now. Just take it. I'm I'm gone. I'm sorry. (laughs) The only time I watch cable television is TNT Wednesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Fast Lanes this weekend, Ash. You want to check it out? I don't know what that is. Free agency frenzy in the National Football League happened over the weekend. Past couple of days until uh, Wednesday. In exciting news, made my day, Mitchell Trubisky has been signed by the Buffalo Bills. So Mitch Bills. Trubisky joins Josh Allen, Josh Sean McDermott, Stefan Diggs up in Buffalo. You're pumped. He's not going to see the field, Ash. <laughs> but he will be there. <laughs> yeah, he'll exist. Yeah, he exists. Pokemon uh, guy, if you are a Pokemon guy, he looks like a ditto with a beard. Wow. Ryan, Imagine a ditto with a beard. Ryan Fitzmagic. Now, that's not a ditto with a beard. That's coming to the Washington football team to terrorize the NFC East. And I know that we're Giants fans, but I fucking love Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I, I am I, I don't know many who hate Ryan Fitzpatrick. To have him here. The Fitzmagic is real. And you said that he was going to retire. He said he was going to retire. No, that wasn't. That was a report. Yeah, He said he was never going to retire. Woo. Damn right. Stay forever. He Rick flared it. Went out in the middle of the ring, everybody when, thought he was going to retire, and he said, I'm never going to retire. When does he sign with the Giants? I feel like uh, it has to happen. He he stays in the East. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to take Washington to a, the playoffs God if they play right. the way they did last year. They got Curtis Samuel. Antonio Gibson's been fantastic. So, well, I mean, Terry McLaurin. We'll see how that comes together. They uh, tagged Brandon Scherf. We're talking some Washington football team here. Yes, and while we were recording this podcast, Allen Robinson signed his franchise tag. So Robinson signs the franchise tender, probably slams Chicago for like eighteen million against the cap. So there goes the Kenny Galladay move. We'll yes, see. We'll, we'll see what happens with Galladay. Eighteen million dollars in twenty twenty one. But Andy Dalton, my Bleacher Report app. Would anyone be interested in listening to a fantasy football? Yes, podcast? they would. I'm telling you, they would. That we're going to keep on going. Do. But anyway, with that. It's my turn. You can check us out at Dojo and Dynamite on Twitter, Dojo and Dynamite on Instagram, and Dojo and Dynamite at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, hope you're doing well, staying safe, wearing your masks, and getting ready for summer. I'm ready for summer. I'm going to go to the beach.
Rich told you where to find us, and we'll be back later next week with another episode. Thanks, guys.